Hello, and thanks for listening to another episode of Trilove. Uh, today's episode is a very special, I guess, retrospective episode uh, from February 12th of 2020, when uh, Bong Joon-ho, just three days after winning uh, multiple Oscars for Parasite, made an appearance at the Walker Art Center in Minneapolis uh, in a talk moderated by former Variety film writer Scott Foundas. Uh, we got out of this talk uh, really, really excited about what we heard and just kind of wanted to gush about it and figured, hey, we host a film podcast, so we'll put it together. If you just can't get enough Bong Joon-ho slash Try Love content, you can go back to episode 58, where we interviewed Andy Smith, owner and proprietor of the Grey Duck Theater in Rochester, Minnesota, right after he screened the black and white edition of Parasite. His was the only theater in Minnesota to do so, and it was really exciting to get a chance to talk to him. Also, it's kind of weird in format like this one was. So... Without further ado, here are our thoughts on Bong Joon-ho's talk at the Walker Art Center with Scott Foundas, titled Bong Joon-ho, Beyond Boundaries. Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mmm, 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 mmm. And I'm telling you smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Thank you very much for listening to Trilove, a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw, uh, people we met, or things we did in relation to the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find them on Twitter at Trilon Cinema. My name is Jason, and you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I am a humble Bong Joon-ho disciple. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Would you say you're a Bong Joon-ho? Hi, I'm yes, he would. Bong Joon-ho number one. Uh, you can call me Harry Mackin. I'm at Chitaki Harry. My name is Aaron Grossman. You can find me on Twitter at RBPlease. And we have a sorry. We have a special <laughs> so guest joining us today, who also attended the special event with us tonight. It's Charlie Mackin. Hi, I'm Charlie Mackin. <laughs> uh, where can we find you on Twitter, Charlie? <laughs> oh, I didn't know that was a requirement. Okay, um, I'm at Charlie Mander thirteen. Excellent. Uh, today we're going to be talking about, or tonight, I guess we're going to be talking about uh, the event we just left, which was a. Uh, uh, a moderated talk between bon, uh, director of Parasite, recent uh, four-time Oscar winner uh, Bong Joon-ho, and Scott Foundas, a uh, production manager and former film critic for Variety. Uh, yeah, it was called Bong Joon-ho Beyond Boundaries. It was put on by the Walker Art Center. It was in the Walker Cinema. Uh, thank you to everybody who made that happen. I understand that there were a lot of people uh, mediating between uh, his camp and, and Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, I felt really weird to have somebody so important come to the city of Minneapolis, Minnesota, um, and to give this very intimate talk for about, what, like an hour, hour and ten, probably? I thought it was closer to two hours, was but it? I could be wrong. Yeah, it it felt pretty quick. Yeah. yeah, like, <laughs> kind of like him doing a favor. Like, we joked about this beforehand, but, like, they booked this before Oscar nominations came out. Like, we we got tickets for this, what, like seven months ago, like six months ago. It was like, a long time ago. four months ago in November, yeah. Um, so, yeah, they, they did Oscar nominations, and then Parasite and him won a ton of awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best International Film. And here uh, he is. And Best Screenplay. Best Screenplay. 
Um, and then you kind of feel bad for the walker, right? Because I, I was I would assume they would have sold tickets for more money. They would have figured something out. That's, like, that's kind of what we talked about on our way over here, uh, Jason and I, is that it, this was such a, um, a special circumstance because it was the sort of, I think the, the thing you said, uh, Jason, was that uh, Bong Joon-ho will never be as unimportant in the grand scheme of things in the cinema scene in the world stage as he is right now. Uh, important as he is, it was like it, this never would have happened uh, in a world where Bong Joon-ho won Best Picture in, and Best Director. In even a month. Yes. Right. Like, if they had started planning this off the back of his Parasite, like, uh, of his Parasite wins, The Walker would not have the resources. The Walker would not uh, have the appeal, I guess. Uh, but they committed to it, and knowing that it would be just post the Oscars, like, everybody held their game about it, and that is an incredible... Including Bong Joon-ho, right? I mean, like, right. he said... Uh, this he won the Oscars four days ago, right? That was something that he he brought up um, as still being sort of like in a surreal mindset where he couldn't quite believe what was happening. He kept saying, "I can't believe this is happening," which was uh, really charming. Um, and by the way, if it seems like we're flustered, that's because we're still very excited. <laughs> also, this it's was eleven thirty at night. We, we, yeah. were, we were just in a selfie with this man twenty five minutes ago, and it still I touched Bong Joon Ho. <laughs> Bong Joon Ho, number one, Harry Mack, and um, <laughs> that's right. And rather than try to put together like a structured conversation about the whole event and go point by point, I thought it would be probably better just because we're getting our quick cuffs remarks um, to just point out one or two things that we each thought uh, really stuck out or like revelations, things that we thought were, excuse me, thought that were interesting, particularly in context of his recent. Oscar wins and uh, just being able to see him here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, where people in like much bigger cities in much better funded places won't be able to see him the same yeah, way. Yeah, and, and to hear him tell the story, just to contextualize a little bit more, he came here immediately upon finishing the Parasite Oscar press tour. And he, he won he, the Yeah, he won the Oscars. He, he did a, a couple of uh, press tours or a couple of uh, press meetings um, to, to basically react in real time to his had a, winning. Had a rest day and then got on a plane from Minneapolis and then landed and he's been like working ever since. Can you imagine winning just some of the largest awards in your field and then having to fly to Minneapolis in the middle of fe- Feb- February in Minneapolis is the shittiest place on earth anywhere <laughs> at any point in time. It is just like a gray brown sludge. Listen, for more content like this, check Aaron's Twitter. Yeah. Ouch. Um, and he just arrived. Thank you for coming to Minneapolis, dude. Our, yeah. Pretty good. Listen, like, we, hey, this was the a gift great, horse. You know? This was the definition of a gift horse. I was not going to look it in the mouth that it's in Minneapolis. Like, it's where I am, right? It's, it's, I'm not. We're just to... so incredibly lucky, right? It's just yeah. like, it's unbelievable. It's like, ever since, uh, this is dumb and maybe sentimental, but like, ever since we started doing this podcast, there have been several moments where the, it seems like the universe is like arranging itself. Uh, to do something that favors us, right? Like with, with John and with like the screenings that we got. And now it's just like, hey, like of all of the cities in the United States of America, uh, how about Bong Joon Ho comes to the art museum that's a block from your house, Harry? You, from your apartment, Harry. <laughs> Everything's coming up trial. You, your favorite, yeah, the, my, probably my favorite director, uh, working today. It's just like, hey, what if he came a block from your house? And you just walked over there after work. I don't mean to bring this up right now, but I did start reading The Secret pretty recently. Um, I have been visualizing a lot of this, so it's 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 that's what's funny about what that. a beautiful it's, thing it's, to visualize for all of us. Aaron. Yeah, Thank well, you. I did it for myself. Yeah, I think you guys just kind of we just collateral came in the picture here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, we came in the picture. Yeah. So he'll he'll be on our podcast. That's the next thing I'm visualizing. Yeah, we've already uh, recorded the interview. Uh, that's going to drop later as a special. Don't stop that. No, we um, didn't. 
I did get audio of him. I turned my voice recorder on when he was talking to somebody else just because I really, really, <laughs> really wanted, wanted to say this is this, this is, yeah, probably some form of crime. I got a skin no, sample like, that I, got... I put in the test tube here. We're going to clone him. I a small him. scalpel and I took a yes. biopsy. I, um, it's a habit I got into when I was in Japan was just like recording this, I guess, soundscape of the moment to just like have that memory. Why are you laughing? Is this funny? Yeah, it's fucking funny as hell, dude. It's a habit I got into abroad of being a very creepy tourist. <laughs> this particular soundscape is just like a guy that I really like talking. Let's get I, that I mic would, right up. I would, there I would perch on the roof of the citizens and I would lower anyway. my phone while voice Anyway, yeah, this isn't, this isn't funny anymore. Uh, so I did that. Anyway, we're going to be talking about, uh, like, okay, let's talk about the, the focus of the talk, which was exclusively on his filmography and sort of his less, his process and more specific questions about each movie. Um, they went through, they played clips from uh, Mother... Memories of the Murder. Host, they started memories with of Memories of Murder and then proceeded to show one from The Host and then um, Mother, Snowpiercer, and Parasite. Parasite. Yeah. They did uh, spend t- like two minutes at the beginning talking about Barking Dogs Never Bite, uh, which Bong Joon-ho explicitly said, do not watch, which nothing is... Yeah, I'm going to watch Nothing that. tempts yeah. me to watch a movie more uh, than when the director says, don't watch you it. Had to, you had to know that was his plan, right? That's right. what that dude is all about. The, the yeah, man is all about it. Um, I, I should note... Uh, in case you're interested, this was apparently being filmed um, yeah. by the Walker. We'll probably, and they said that they'll, right? they'll have it. I mean, like I'll I'll link it somewhere. Yeah. Um, they said that they will have it available as part of like a 30th anniversary experience. Experience. Which, I just wish they just put it on fucking YouTube. If that's not what they're, I think that's doing. more or less what they. If they're going to be doing that, cool. Because yeah. it was a very fun, very casual, but very interesting talk. Yeah, I mean, we're we're hyped as hell right now. We should say that, like, I, in my opinion. Uh, obviously, I can't really evaluate it very objectively. I thought it was an excellent conversation yeah. and interview. So, like, it's worth listening to even if you couldn't be there, I, in my opinion. For sure. Scout Foundus did a really wonderful job. Yeah, shout um, outs to Scout Foundus. I thought he he was an excellent interviewer. Very um, well researched, uh, you know. Yeah, he was, was referencing off, he was specific actors and films. And Charlie such. Charlie had pointed out that his contribution or, or his involvement in this was a big reason why Bong Joon Ho decided to come along to this. Yeah, I think because apparently they've known each other for a really long time, and that was evident. I think in yeah, their conversation, Scott's been ta- Scott throughout the interviews talking about, oh, back when you first did this, and I was talking to you about that, or when we met after you did this movie, and mm-hmm. so. I think a big part of the reason why he was even open to coming to Minneapolis and doing this in the first place is because he knew Scott was going to be the guy doing the interview. It's so fucking weird to think that we've always been within, like, four degrees of Bong Joon-ho, professionally <laughs> networking-wise. Like, somebody knows somebody at The Walker who knows Scott Foundas, who is best friends with Bong Joon-ho! Ba- Bong Joon-ho looked at your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> <laughs> Say something, Bong Joon-ho. Um... So I would just want to. Uh, there were times at uh, during the during the course of this talk. Of course, it, it sort of veered into Bong Joon Ho's experience uh, and run-ins with American cinema um, and Western cinema in general, where um, it really revealed. Uh, if you followed like him as a as a meme, I guess like the headlines are all him like mentioning how the Oscars are a very regional award, and that's like a sincere belief that the man has it's something that's like that he's found to be true that it's not as important in korea or the eastern world as it is here in america um and you would get the, the sort of i got the sort of vibe that he was maybe not completely genuine about those that it was like it was a funny thing to say in the moment kind of thing okay. Impo- sort of um impressing my own like 
He was negging the academy, is what he was doing. <laughs> 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 it ended up working, apparently. Like, but, but best I, picture, there you go. The more I heard him talk about his early life in cinema and like how he would watch American films without subtitles <laughs> and without really understanding what was going on and with no consideration for like how, not how they were made, but like the production behind them and the sort of people that funded them. Uh, he, it's like, the first thing I want to talk about is his uh, clear understanding of film and love for it, but with none of the respect that uh, Americans seem to have for, like, the None, none of the for... sort of deferential reverence that, right. that that softens the critical edge or the critiques that you can make toward the industry. Right, sort of the uh, sanctifying of, like, uh, structures and outlets and uh, hierarchies. award ceremonies and hierarchies. I mean, I, I'm sure that those things do exist to some extent in Korean cinema as well. Like, he's had to pitch his own movies before. Could you say that he's beyond boundaries? I could Did say Did you hear that. my lips on the mic? I wanted to get as close as possible to the mic. Wanted to have that scratching noise on against the windscreen? Um, is that something that you guys noticed, or was that just me about my own ass about it? No, I think that was true, especially because he was talking about, like, once he got older and he started studying film, he was like, oh, that's that director, and they did that other movie, too. And, like, he literally just had no idea that the guy who made this movie also made that other movie. Mm-hmm. He was just analyzing each movie on its own as its own thing without kind of a context that's different. The the man referenced Sam Peckinpah. <laughs> Which yeah, is, you looked back up at me, and I, we both had, like, a huge nerd-out moment. <laughs> My eyes just turned into hearts. Yeah, um, I, I thought it was kind of surprising how much he talked about, uh, let's not say American cinema, because let's say English-language films, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Um, in, in a way that, like, actually made a ton of sense. Like, I think yeah. his, his, you know, he talked a lot about, like, Jaws and its influence on the host. I think that's pretty apparent. Um, one thing that that kind of, like... It was like a light bulb when he said it was he talked about De Palma and how much he loves De Palma. And it's like, oh, there's like a ton of like blowout and like Parasite in a lot of his films. A hundred percent. And and I just didn't put that together. Um, and he even talked about uh, him. Let me know if I'm like misremembering this, but he, he talked about not really getting into a lot of like classics of like Korean cinema until later, until he was actually like studying film. And this school. was something I wanted to say because I, it was fascinating to me. Uh, also, I think that that Bong Joon Ho and, and like I don't want to say that this is a unique perspective necessarily because I don't think I think you would push up against that. But one really fascinating thing about Bong Joon Ho um, is that that somebody asked him, or I think Scott Foundas asked him, if he had a similar sort of upbringing that he did with these American movies that he had reference for when he was young with Korean films, particularly the the Korean uh, genre B masterpieces of the 1980s. And Bong Joon-ho, like you said, Aaron, he said, actually, he had sort of a a fascinating inverse relationship that a lot of um, would-be filmmakers in America do, where he got, he would, became interested in Korean cinema, particularly Korean genre cinema, when he entered college. And he said that he his sort of um, relationship with those movies was one of critique and study. But the the movies that he, in his own words, said were in his blood were like um, American blockbusters. Um, yeah. I mean, the American blockbusters of the 1970s and 80s. Um, he also, very early on... Um, had like a, a very moving um com- like part of the conversation where he he basically had the the relationship to cinema that that the people in um the spirit of the beehive did <laughs> where uh the the South Korean um government uh censored 
uh, foreign media that came into South Korea. And so he would get heavily censored versions of um, movies. Oh, yeah. One, he'd watch like at midnight when yeah, his parents were asleep. Uh, those were the uncensored versions that were for um, American GIs uh-huh. in uh, South Korea, which didn't have subtitles but were unedited. But uh, like he talked about how um, he watched Dog Day Afternoon and didn't know the gay relationship that's at the heart of that movie or the queer, I'm sorry, the queer relationship that's at the heart of that movie. Um, and, and how that affected his viewing experience. And that was a, a fascinating, um, perspective to have. Yeah. Um, these things, and, and there were others too, that like, while listening to this man, like he, he came across as very grounded. Uh, like these are the types of questions, like questions about, uh, his legacy and the influences that go into his own works. Um, I would have expected something more saturated or, or rehearsed. Um, but he seems to have a pretty, he seems to have a pretty, like, candid, uh, not ironic understanding of, like, what his, what his legacy is currently and what it could be. Um, there was that really interesting bit where he, uh, instead of, like, he didn't consider himself to be an auteur, um, which is, like, a really, easy label to throw just on any director who's famous and good, uh, who makes a couple good movies. Um, he cited himself and, uh, Kim Ji-woon and, and Park Chan-wook, uh, as like, uh, members of the, like the cinephile generation, those who grew up, uh, kind of like the, the Quentin Tarantino effect. I hate that his name slid his way into this episode, uh, but just like growing up in video shops and just, uh, absorbing, um, those types of, the, those types of genre films, those blockbusters, those, those pop culture masterpieces that, that feed into and subsequently create other masterpieces. Yeah, he said a really fascinating thing when asked by, um, Scott Foundas about, um, about if he thought that his films and the films of Hong Sang So and the films of, uh, Park Chan Wook, I think was one of the other mm. directors that came up. It, but but basically, if the films of the Korean filmmakers that are making waves now in internationally and have have won so much renown are indicative of a larger sort of international film movement, in the examples they used were like in the mold of like French New Wave or what were some of the other genre or uh, uh, movements that uh, Dogma ninety five Dogma ninety five was one of them. What's Dogma ninety five? Oh jeez, man. <laughs> anyway, it's like a more cinematic, yes. Yeah, like a lot of post-war movements. And okay. he he um he pushed up against that that framing of a movement, but he did say that that he thinks that that part of the reason why South Korean movies are starting to appear the way that they do um and have the sensibilities that they do and win so much renown internationally is he and his contemporaries are part of what he was calling these um the South Korean cinephile movement, where he and, and his contemporaries are like perhaps the first generation of filmmakers coming out of South Korea that grew up in and were molded by the history of cinema mm. as it was imparted to them in South Korea. Whereas he said before that, the, the, the great Korean directors um, of previous generations had a more... Um, uh, conventional relationship to directing, where it was a job that they ascended through the ranks of until they reached director, so they would start as filmographers. Film yeah. yeah, right, and work their way up that way. Uh, whereas um, these sort of auteurs or genre um, directors uh, came at it differently because of their their love for cinema, kind of made them uh, ready for and 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 built for. Uh, 
that style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm kind of, kind of, I don't know, not to, you know, we, we all kind of sit in this room after we see a movie and then kind of break down a film and our thoughts on it and try and create like a kind of a narrative around the film and the director and its place mm-hmm. in film history. Uh, and it's kind of interesting listening to him talk about his own upbringing, you know, I, I think watching a lot of his films and Parasite, uh, maybe in particular, you can kind of build this narrative about his influences and such. And then listening to him talk about it, he's like, you know, I grew up watching a lot of like half piece together American yeah. films. And it's like that narrative. I, I reminded of like a Roger Ebert essay where he wrote about watching um, uh, like a classic film in like, I think, South America. And it was just like projected onto like a wall of like a store and just like a bunch of people like not in seats just like standing around watching the film and it's like there are so many great directors that you want to build like this cohesive narrative about and a lot of times it's like growing up watching tv it's always worth resisting the sort of life narratives of another person's life right because like life is always extremely complicated we can never presume to know the fundaments of what made up bong joon ho in his mind (laughs) but it is another fun just branch to consider in his path from like just a kid who watched illicit movies at midnight to making now like one of the most successful, uh, critically successful films of all time. Uh, and then like just ascending through the ranks, like who would have thought that three days later he would have made it all the way to the Walker art center, the vaunted Walter Walker art center. I mean, it it kind of is, it kind of is. It's a a nice place. It looks almost exactly like the house from parasite. (laughs) If the Oscars are a local ceremony, the Walker is like a sand castle. (laughs) Uh, uh, sure, yeah. But, like, dovetailing with that, um, what was most interesting about that was about that part of his conversation to me was that he had to sort of, uh, everything except, through everything except language, he had to in, intuit and perceive what a movie was about and, like, how it was communicating what it was trying to do, even any sort of messaging that was underlying it. He had to just, like, rely on tone of voice of actors and actresses on like the casting on the on the movement of the camera and that really comes through in a lot of his films not they're not well scripted but in my experience with the movies of his i've seen which is not quite all of them yet um there's a very like distinct visual language that goes into making each of these movies and like carries everything the movie's about it's yeah right i he's one of the best blockers in the industry Mm -hmm. um he he insists upon. I believe he hand draws. If he doesn't hand draw them himself, he insists upon uh, self creating storyboards for all of his scenes and all of his movies before he shoots. He has full storyboards. That's also unusual uh, in the industry. Um, in general, like the physical movement of characters within spaces within frames in his movies is like nearly second to none. It's like beautiful choreographed dances he cited a lot of influences there he cited a lot of like even slapstick comedy and silent humor they played um the segment of parasite that they played was when the rich family the parks are coming home and the poor family are trying to um arrange the house such that they don't get found out uh scrambling to do so um you you almost wonder if if uh like you said, and again, we're I'm, I'm doing the thing you cautioned against doing when you <laughs> sort of construct a narrative, but you almost wonder if the fact that he couldn't understand, um, or like he had to piece together these movies himself without the help of 
the full cut and often without the help of language got him to pay attention to things differently sure. that mm-hmm. helped him understand physical movement in a more intimate way than maybe we would when we're focused on dialogue or when we're focused on different characterization or something. Yeah, and I, I mean, even I'll feed into that narrative. I mean, he talked about how beautiful, like, Steven Spielberg's blocking was. I mean, you look at him, uh, like, he referenced, like, Spielberg's duel. Like, who the fuck talks about duel? Know, no one was, knows what that fucking It was so movie. cool to be, like, literally, like, Bong Joon-ho come on the pod, right? It was, like, the, the shit he was saying about movies was so smart and astute. Yeah. And it was like, well, no shit, dude. Like, it turns out he's a genius, but, I, I, like... I think was... part of it is that he is, he, he's very, like, he's a very personable person, and he's, he's also a person that is not afraid to, like, kind of, like, not create that narrative, right? He's very... He admits when, like, yeah, you know, I grew up watching films in this way that maybe wasn't perfect. Uh, or, like, someone would ask him, uh, someone asked him, like, tonal shifts in your films. Your films often jump between, like, horror and comedy and, like, what is your process surrounding that? And he would just say, like, you know, it's not really something I consider, like, uh, kind we of We never front talked of my about mind. it. We don't talk about said. it. Right. Um, he doesn't see those as two different disciplines. He doesn't see yeah. those as the audience then sees them, right? He sees them as part of the story naturally, which was, I guess, it was revealing to me about how he thinks about his movies. It was just a really, like, good talk. Um, yeah. yeah, it's funny you said he was very personable. That was something that stuck out to me it's sort of tertiary, as a tertiary point, is that, like, I always forget how, like, how important uh, charisma is to all of this, to the making of a cultural worldwide phenomenon, and how, how that is, like, the the silent um, skill undergridding lots of success. And, like... Bong Joon-ho was just like a dynamite presence, right? Like he was just so charming and mm-hmm. so personable and so easy to root for and to like. He's, I mean, he was just imminently likable uh, on stage. Everything he said, everybody was so charmed and like laughing along with him. Uh, it's just one of those like hidden gifts that some people have and some people don't. And he was, he was just so humble too. It's like this mm-hmm. guy just won four Oscars and somebody was like, wow, you tend to like switch genres a lot. Are you doing this on purpose? And he was like, well, I've only made seven movies so far. And it's like, okay. <laughs> uh, he was even, like, denying... I found this, asked him about what it's like to work with ensembles and, like, repeat characters and casts and stuff. And he's like, listen, I've only made seven movies. Some some people are going to be in more than one, but, like, right? Like, he totally is a director that you associate with that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. At least his leads, right? Like, yeah. there were some characters that appeared in the host clip that they played that found us again, quick as a whip, knew the like names of off the top of his head, and said what other movies he, they were in, and like even in the face of that, he doesn't see it as like part of his process. He just he has the characters. There seems to be some kind of disconnect there, right? Like we're we're talking about two different generations of of filmmakers. This uh, cinephile generation, and then I don't know what you would call like Brian De Palma, for example. Uh, but like he, like De Palma came up as an influence, and you watch. His movies, some of which are really good, uh, some some of which are not. Some of which are very not good. uh, But like every, like what makes De Palma such, uh, what what makes De Palma such like an interesting comparison, and especially for like people who watch a lot of movies and and study and analyze film, is that everything De Palma does is very heavy-handed. So like the techniques he uses are very good, and he'll make sure that you do not miss them. There's, there seems to be, at least on the surface, like a lot of thought that's going into those, and he's probably thinking behind the scenes, this is the tone that I want to create, uh, not to put words in his mouth or anything. Uh, but like, you don't get that effect, or with, with, uh, Parasite and other movies that Bong Joon Ho has made, uh, it seems all the more casual. And I think that's why 
or maybe why, you know, that was the first question we got, you know, that, that man who stood up and said, you know, you said you don't consciously think about switching tones, but are like, are you sure about that? Cause that scene <laughs> we just watched. And then Bong Joon-ho was like, um, did I fucking stutter? Dude? Like you <laughs> did not say in that manner. So he was very nice. Yes, very nice. Uh, yes. He's a very kind and gentle man. Uh, he's our uncle and he is very <laughs> respectful. I do got to say he, the, the quite not him, the, the questions at the Walker, Actually, pretty good. Like, yeah. Whenever uh, all like audience Q&A. I was so ready to cringe out. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, they were good. Yeah. Like, congrats. Nice yeah. job, Walker audience. Like, I just talked about how um, ramshackle this could have been, uh, and like how it doesn't appear to have been super overproduced or anything. But it went really, very, very smoothly. I expected there'd be technical hiccups, and I expected yeah. there'd be like weird stuff with the aspect ratios that they were sort of like. Artificially adding to the movies. Did you see when the like the, the, mm-hmm. the, the curtains were going back? That was a nice touch. I was going to yeah. ask you about that. Uh, Jason and I earlier, I think, I guess last week is that? Oh God, was that only last week? That was uh, last week. Last week, uh, he and I saw Mother at uh, the Walker as part of the same lead up same cin- cin- same cinema, same stage. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Isn't that wild? By the way, it's we crazy. watched a bunch of uh, Bong Joon Ho movies in the same room where we eventually saw Bong Joon Ho. Um, what a difference uh, seeing Mother on film was compared to seeing it in um in just a quick yeah, yeah. Uh, was, that was a, that was a, a remarkable was difference striking. to me it really yeah. like stuck out it really speaks to the need to preserve film that's uh, right yeah <laughs> moving forward the need know. to preserve film and the need to show it are two opposing uh interests it's true uh i had one more point i wanted to make before tossing it over you guys can go ahead sure um i you know i i'm a wannabe in all things, but uh, I really appreciated he talked to Kraft quite a bit um, for writing and for uh, directing, and that that made me very happy because that's the kind of thing I wanted to hear more of. Um, He talked specifically about how sometimes when he writes, he'll, like, ruminate on a whole idea and have the entire plot and structure in his mind before he sits down to write. Uh, and he'll fill in the details as he goes, but he's sort of got the arc in his head. And then he talks about how other times, as was the case with Parasite, he does not have the whole idea, oh. even when they're very late in the process. Was, was yeah, crazy? he, he said, said, like, like the big shift, the big reveal, like, at the end of Parasite. I, is this a spoilers cast? Uh, I'm going to put a warning at the top, yeah. Oh, okay. So, like, the idea that there is a, another family living in the basement, he came up with three months before the script was due. Would seem to be <laughs> integral to the point in plot of that movie, right? Very much so. <laughs> like, imagine a world in which he didn't come up with that. The rest of this, like, this movie would still have been a really great technical achievement, but, like, would it have had that well, slap? I mean, like, it's not like he wrote the first part of the script and then wrote the last part and slapped it on. Like, he obviously went back and did right. revisions based on the new ending. But, you know, That's everybody true. talks about, like, oh, when the old housekeeper comes back and rings the doorbell... That's a new, like, movie. Like, there's a huge tone shift. And it's like, hey, he wrote that part way after he wrote the rest of it. Yeah. And, like, it all makes sense now. It actually, I, it does kind of make sense. I despite love, working. Yeah. I love the idea of a filmmaker as even, like, he has six movies under his belt by that time. And a filmmaker as accomplished as that, still being, still, like, grasping, like, knowing that he wasn't quite done with that story and yet not knowing where it was going to be, grasping at that for months and years. Like, he said that he started kicking around this idea in 2013. Right. Around the time of Snowpiercer. So, to know that it didn't come together until, like, 
a few months into what must have been 2017, 2018. He also, he also said an incredible thing to Scott, uh, founders because he apparently Scott had asked him after, what was his film immediately before Parasite? Snowpiercer, right? Or Oak I think Joe. it was Oak That's Joe. right. He apparently back in the, back in the day, like back in 2014 or 2013 or whatever, as he was coming off of the success of Oak Joe, uh, Scott asks him like, so what's next for you? And, uh, Bong Jun Ho's like, well, uh, when I made Mother, I had a contractual obligation to go back to South Korea and make a smaller film uh, with that production company. So I'm going to go back to South Korea and I'm going to make like a smaller movie. Uh, that movie won Best Picture. Uh, the, it's the first foreign film to ever win uh, Best Picture at the Academy Awards. It won the Cannes Film Festival unanimously. Yeah, uh, it has made back its budget multiple times I, worldwide. The first Palme d'Or winner to I believe it's or, the no, first. It was not the first. The first in like forty years. In right? like forty years yeah. to win by unanimous decision. Yeah, a to miracle also win best movie. picture. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and he did talk about how it was refreshing after doing two movies in the English language and out of South Korea to be able to go back to South Korea to be able to write the script in his native language where he can have all the nuance, where he can talk to all the production people. It like, was really great to hear that. Yeah, yeah. He, he said it felt really nice, so that was great. He spoke yeah. very, very, very highly of his uh, South Korean production team, of the composers that he used both in Parasite and in uh, Mother. Um, he spoke uh, a lot about the actors he uses, uh, the lead actress in um, Mother and um, the basically his muse. Um, who was in Parasite and uh, so many of his other movies. Sung, is it Sung Kang Ho? Yeah, Sung Kang Ho, um, who's amazing. Uh, Should have been. Really amazing. widely good. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Um, I That highlights, I, I know I talked about how fascinating it was to hear his relationship to Hollywood in his own words, um, but like knowing that he... Uh, when he was it when he was writing Mother that he started just just before that that he started getting offers from Hollywood he finally got a, an agent mm-hmm. in Hollywood um, who he signed with and he started doing work with and he started getting scripts and he would like just sort of cutely like show them off and say like hey guys like look look fellow Koreans like this this is a Hollywood script <laughs> and he put it back down forget about it and write his own thing I don't like, what scripts he had. He must have had something we know about, right? Well, think about Almost certainly. Yeah, man, maybe some shit like, think like about that. The scale, was, <laughs> the scale he was working at at that point in his career, I don't know that it would have been anything that would have like broken through the mainstream. Would well, it have been? There are like twenty thousand unmade yeah. scripts yeah. for yeah. every movie that does. Well, get that's made. what I mean. Is like even if it got made, game, like what's the? There's like a whole that, that, that's like a whole thing, right? Is yes, that like yeah. there's like a black list or what do you what do they yeah, call like, those? Blacklist is like an official organization at this point, but yeah. I don't. I what? Well, that was super interesting to hear about too, because it's like he said, "Oh, I got this American agent in South Korea. We don't have agents. If you want to work with somebody, you call them." Which I thought was great, and it's like, oh, so like he talked about like mother. He's like, I don't want to make this movie unless this actress is in it. So he called that actress and asked her to be in it, and she was like, yeah, and that's why that movie exists. Right. Yeah. That would be said, an yes. entirely different story if this were an American film. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, he I said want the Helen same Mirren. Thing. No, you can't have Helen Mirren. Well, you will get 
Betty White. Okay, we'll make the movie. Like, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was super heartening to hear that both in Mother's Case and in Memories of Murder with Sung Kang Ko, uh, he, he said, like, oh, I don't... If, if he had said no to the movie, I probably wouldn't have made it. Mm-hmm. And he straight up said, like, oh, if she had said no to Mother, I would not have made that movie. This this talk really, like, particularly for Mother, because it was one that I like was so recent. It was mm-hmm. the movie of his I had most recently seen. There's going to be a lot that I'm going to remember about this talk while watching those movies. Specifically about Mother, but with pretty much his whole filmography. Um, uh, by the way, that, that actress's name is uh, Kim Haiya. Haiya? Sorry, I, I suck, in, uh, but I, it was important to say that. Uh, she's unbelievable in Mother. It's like an un, it's so, it's an yeah. incredible performance. Um, I think that's, w- without <laughs> delving too far, you had a couple he, of... He said fucking Steve Buscemi was the inspiration for the host <laughs> yeah. from The Host. And and the wrestling That's even more brutal than the fucking line in Fargo about he him said just looking. Not only funny. that he was the inspiration, but they they had a picture of him as our inspiration <laughs> that like they shared with one another, and that then he saw him at an event later Steve. and was like, "Oh, such a nice man." I gotta defend Steve here. What the fuck, man? <laughs> Steve's a nice guy. You know guy what the brutal thing is? What? Uh, you can kind of see it. You can, you can kind of see I, it. You, you can, can watch see it. I won't, I won't say that. Hey, watch Steve the Buscemi. Uh, uh, by all accounts, a really cool, really great guy. I think he's a great host. Stop one. It. You don't need to stop uh, And two, stop what you're phenomenal actor. Stop he's it. a great actor. And what? What else after that? What? And, what else after and that? And he kind of looks like stop a, a sea sludge monster <laughs> created it. by American he's, experimental here's the thing. testing he's in, in the Han River. He specifically talked about the scene in Fargo where the I think it's the bullet has like grazed his mouth and he's yeah. like holding where up Martin, uh, Marge's dad shoots him in the yes. face or whatever. And he's holding up like a bunch of paper and he's fucking talking like that. And it's, he was just like, yeah, he just seemed to match the monster. And I was like, that is a very good description of that scene. And very that, slithery. Steve Buscemi's great energy. in that scene. Yeah. Um, <laughs> was, that was, those little tidbits yes. were great. I'm going to forget those occasionally. There was that. The other thing I wanted to bring up was he did a very touching moment from the Academy Awards was him shouting out Martin Scorsese and Martin Scorsese getting a standing ovation. Uh, I didn't he, watch the Oscars because... I didn't either, but I saw but the clip on That's got to be the highlight, right? Like uh, that. And I, winning, I, I have guess, to imagine right? just two kings yes. looking at each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he yeah he shouted out Martin Scorsese. Martin Scorsese got a standing ovation after I guess Spike Lee kind of motioned for him to stand up, and it was like very just a, a tearjerker. And then having him retell that story uh, was very yeah. nice. He also he but, kept, well, he kept that by saying, uh, "Well, you didn't watch it, Harry, but one of his quotes, um, as spoken through his interpreter on, on stage, was." Uh, that he wanted to uh, split the um, award for best director with uh, the other nominees. He wanted to split it with a Texas chainsaw, which was sort of a non sequitur. Oh, yes. That I don't. I, ever, I think everybody's let slide because it's like that. That guy's a, a genius and a king. We're not going to question. Also, it. his first. That and was then, his first award of the night. I think was right? it, or maybe those. Yeah. And but, then, and then in this talk, he was like, just unprompted. He was like, I still don't know why I said Texas chainsaw. <laughs> We stand in a relatable anxiety camp. <laughs> like he just shot off the I, yeah. first thing that if came If I was ever given an award for like just like a local community center, like hey, you've been a nice guy, I would I would wet myself on the spot. Yeah, so yeah I mean, like, yeah. I, we I just I got to stand next to uh, Bong Joon Ho and put my arm around him when we took this picture, and afterwards I said thank you to him so many times that he just he started patting my back like, all right, <laughs> please leave. I mean, he had like. So many cute anecdotes. We'll never be able to do them all. We, ha- we yeah. have to link the video when yeah. it's up. Everybody needs to go watch it. Hear it from yeah, the man's it's mouth. some great insight into how his craft works. 
uh, his his position in the international film scene, sort of um, where he got or how he got here. Scott does a Scott Foundus does an amazing job of um, the retrospective element mm-hmm. of this conversation, where they really do go back to the start and they work through his entire filmography point by point. He's going to be great to return to. Um, yeah, and you like and, watch it. And like I said, a great time capsule for like where his mind was and what kind of answers he was giving and how he was talking about his career three days after winning. What hopefully is not the best, like the biggest accolades of his career, but like to this point, yeah. Can you imagine? He just gets an EGOT twenty years from now. <laughs> uh, just he's, he's a killer on stage, dude. <laughs> you you could probably you could make a musical of Parasite and it would win a, a Tony, and and he would he would take it home. <laughs> yeah. I thought you were just going to say a musical film, and I was like, stop. But that, actually, yeah. I, I, I what if he composes an play. award-winning, like, Grammy-winning album? The, the hit single, Respect, from the, oh, the Parasite <laughs> musical? <laughs> uh, yeah, I will happily watch anything Bong Juno makes uh, in his life. Especially uh, the ones he tells you not to. Yeah, movies, uh, audiobooks, if he's got to get that Grammy. Uh, I'll podcasts? Go, I'll visit Broadway. Uh, yeah, if yeah, if he makes a podcast. Um, tying this back slightly. Oh, no, who's that at the door? <laughs> <laughs> tying this back slightly, uh, Jacques Tati came up as an influence oh, yeah. uh, at some point. Uh, there's a theme, uh, a slate of those movies coming up at the trial-on. I was already very excited to watch those. I've not seen uh, any... Films uh, that are being shown uh, from that director, uh, and now I'm way more excited. Mm-hmm. Don't worry, we will be reaching out to Bong Joon-ho to guest on those episodes. <laughs> you want to Skype in, Bong? <laughs> uh, the other thing that we haven't mentioned yet is that uh, director Bong had on stage with him a an interpreter, uh, whose name I forget, but I believe he was a producer on both Snowpiercer and Okja. 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 Yes. Uh, so. who, was, who was a very good very good translator. He yeah. seemed to, really like well. a fantastic translator, he, especially for not being a professional translator. They seem to have a very good relationship as uh, speaker and translator. Like, it, as soon as he was done saying something in Korean, he was literally already saying yeah. it in English. Unfortunately, he's not, he's not listed on the program. I didn't see him. I didn't see his name. Shout out to him. If, if I find yeah. it, I'll, I'll edit it if back. If he's listening to this, uh, I know... Come I, on the pod. Yeah, come on the pod. I, I noticed... Uh, Sir, you were making notes as uh, as the king was talking, so that maybe that you could translate more easily. I'd be very curious to know what notebook you used to do that. Uh, Cody's got to ask about the noties. Yeah. Interpreters' noties. Interpreters. Yep, that's not helpful. Um, I'm just really joyful that I got to see this guy. Uh, and yeah, I mean, we're, all my social it's, media it's a cloud once, is shooting up right now. A, I got a selfie a with him. Oh, wow. Well, you're creating a mountain, and the rest of it's going to be. Troughs like you've got. No, the I've got no other good content. For yeah, the rest so of my life. yeah, um, yeah. Once in a lifetime experience. Uh, it has made moving to Minneapolis worth it. No, that's me. Uh, I like the city. Okay, um, that's that's the end of my thoughts. Anybody else? Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about. Maybe that's a spoiler, but we're going to talk about uh, Parasite itself. Um, suffice to say. Um, it's my favorite movie uh, of the year. It's my favorite movie of maybe the decade. Uh, it's one of my favorite movies, period, I think. Um, it, it really, really, really moved me. Um, and it was an unbelievable uh, privilege to get to see Bong Joon-ho and, and listen to him. Um, I got into him through Parasite, but I've, I've watched many of his other movies now, and I think he's one of the best directors working right now. Um, and obviously his star is 
only going to keep rising. Yep. <clears throat> it was an amazing experience to see him. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Walker Art Center. Thank you, um, Scott Foundis. Thank you, Bong Joon-ho. Come on the pod. Everybody else, say things. Beautiful way to end. Mm, yeah, good. I think we just need to close it up. Uh, thanks, Charlie, for coming. Yeah. Thank you for... Uh, being forced to be on this episode of the podcast because I'm your ride. Really, it just yes. hit midnight, baby. Uh, we have you, work Cody, tomorrow. Being yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All of us are working. You're those. the host here, technically. Hey, All you got to say is thank you time. for listening. Yeah, uh, Cody, do you have any of those hot stingers you like to send us out with? I'll, I'll, I'll give you the opportunity to come up. Do, you, do we have Cody's noties for this episode? Um, I would really like was, some. This was an episode of noties. The episode's running long. These are Cody's bloaties. Oh, okay. uh, in in the words of the king, as he won uh, one of his many awards the other night, I'm going to go drink now. Bye bye.